And um, that sermon is three chapters in Matthew, about 110 verses. And the Sermon on the Plain is in Luke chapter 6, and it consists of uh, about 30 verses and is a very substantial um, summary of um, the Sermon on the Mount. So two different audiences. One in Matthew was a Jewish audience. Jesus was speaking. And he went up on the, the mount, the hillside, and sat down, and the crowds gathered around him, and he spoke. And so he was, in a way, saying by doing that that he was the greater than Moses, who instead of giving the law, was giving the covenant of grace that he was here to speak and to institute. And so in Luke, he's speaking to a Gentile audience, and so... Much of what he said in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount, which had to do with Judaic law and Jesus' fulfillment of that law and the interpretation Jesus was giving to the Pharisaic interpretations of the Old Testament law, Jesus was correcting that to a Jewish audience. Now in the Gentile direction, he speaks words of universal truth. So he cuts out a lot of the legal, religious, legal stuff that he was talking about in Matthew. So today, we're going to be talking about the first part of that Sermon on the Plain, and Scripture actually begins. I'm setting this up. So let's look at the Scripture. Slide one. The beginning of it, Jesus came down with them, his apostles, and stood on a level place. So that's where they get the Sermon on the Plain. Most commentators believe this is a different occasion. This isn't the Sermon on the Mount in another form. Well, it is a Sermon on the Mount in another form, but it's another occasion, not the same occasion as the Mount. And there was a large crowd of his disciples, so he had his 12 apostles, whom he had just appointed as apostles. And then he had a whole large crowd of disciples. And then beyond that, a third sphere of people, throng, crowd of people from all over Judea and Jerusalem and the coastal areas of Tyre and Sidon on the east coast of Israel who would come to hear him be healed of their diseases. So thousands of people, no doubt, were gathered. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were being cured and all the people were trying to touch him. For power was coming out of him and healing them all. I wanted you to see this scripture because this really demonstrates the commitment of this church and the commitment of, I believe, true Christians everywhere that when we talk about the coming of the kingdom of God, we're not talking about only conceptual truth. As important as that is. So Jesus sat down to teach them, but prior to teaching them, He demonstrated the power of the kingdom by healing and driving out demons. So the power dimension, something that is of equal value in the proclamation of the entirety of the kingdom of God. It's not just knowing truth, it's knowing the power of applied truth against evil, evil in the form of disease, evil in the form of demonic oppression. Jesus healed them all. Awesome. So, I'm going to be talking this morning about 
probably the most challenging part of the Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Plain. And that is we're going to be talking about the extraordinary call of all Christians, genuine Christians everywhere, to become masters of job one in the kingdom of God, and that is love. When the world looks at the church and the world sees Christians who are railing against this with angry countenances and abusive words coming out of their mouths, condemning this and cursing that, they're not attracted to those people. But when the world sees believers who, like the Good Samaritan, get out of their own pathways and go into places that people are hurting and, and bind up the wounds of those people and feed the hungry and clothe the naked and give goods to those who need them and speak words of love and heal the sick. Do you realize that the whole system of hospitals in the Western world was established because of Christian influence. So the healing of the sick. Now we stress in this church healing by the supernatural power of God. But we believe, of course, that all healing that comes forth comes forth ultimately from the Lord. As opposed to, instead of occultic healing or demonic healing, not that. But the healing that is in the medical profession when it's not quackery and when it's not, uh, doesn't inflict more harm than, than help. And we believe all that stuff comes from the Lord. And so he is the author of wholeness and healing. So, I just lost, totally lost where I was. Where was I before I started talking about hospitals? Rabbit trail. Oh, yeah. Kingdom of God demonstrating God's love in action. All right, so before we look directly into Luke 6, let's take a look at the definition of love. And and by the way, this topic that I'm talking about today is probably the most challenging topic to me in the entire Bible. And essentially, I'll anticipate it just a minute, essentially what Jesus is talking about, he's not talking about being a little nicer. He's not talking about how to um, win friends and influence people by being a little bit kinder, a little bit nicer to those you already know. He's talking about expressing radical love to enemies. That is the most difficult thing for me. Someone sets their self against me as an enemy, everything within me rises up of the old self, the old flesh rises up to me and says, you're going to be my enemy? Game on. I don't think that's right. (laughs) But it's natural. But what we want is supernatural. So, biblically, love is both a set of attitudes and those attitudes manifested in concrete action. So, let's take a look at the next slide. Love as attitudes. 
Familiar passage, read at weddings all the time. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful. And as we read through this list, let's compare what the Lord is saying with regard to his idea of a loving person and the attitudes that a loving person will manifest versus what is currently on the rise in our culture. Our culture has sadly and unfortunately taken an upsurge in the absence of love. But this is the call of the true Christian. This is the call of Jesus himself. This is what Jesus demonstrated. And this is what Jesus said. This is our bar. Our bar is high. It is so high, in fact, that it takes God in us to achieve that bar. We cannot do this in the power of the flesh. I might as well say that at the beginning. What I'm going to be talking about today is going to challenge your flesh. But guess what? As a believer, you're not to live in the power of the flesh. You're to live in the power of the spirit, which overcomes the power of the flesh. So as we live in the power of the spirit, we are enabled by the strength of another one to do what we cannot humanly do. That's Christianity. Christianity is not just trying our best to follow the lead of Jesus. No, it's knowing how to be in the very presence of Jesus in such a way that he abides in us and his power flows out of us and Jesus does what only Jesus can do through us. That's Christianity. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful. It does not say I am the best. It's not proud does not say, I am the greatest, I am the smartest, I am the strongest. It's not rude. Offensively, impolite, looked up rude. I wanted to make sure I understood rude because I have no rudeness in me. So I know. I'm not meanly rude. I'm ignorantly rude. <laughs> I was raised on a farm. Not that demean people were raised on a farm, but I didn't learn a lot of these social niceties that, <laughs> that I transgress periodically. Offensively impolite or bad-mannered, uncivil, ill-behaved, especially in a deliberate way. Love is not rude. Love does not demand its own way. Another translation says, love does not seek its own. I was talking to a guy in this church last week. He was talking about his career. He served in the same career for probably more than 20 years now. And is nearing retirement. And he met with his boss. They happened to be talking about his career. And his boss said to him, you know, you've, you've made a career out of doing what you could do to further the causes of other people and not yourself. And she said to him, it's now time, I think, for you to finish out your career, career for, by doing something for yourself. 
And he wasn't rude, but in his heart, he responded and said, nope, that's not what it's about. Love seeks the best of the other. Love seeks the concern and the interest of the other above your own. You will take a lesser place at the table to advance others if you operate in love. But we exist in a culture where fighting their way to the top, remaining number one, feeding that monster called self within that devours all resources around it in order to advance its own interests. That's a surge up in our culture. And genuine Christians are called to operate in a different spirit than that. Love is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged by others. It does not. Let's just stop there. It keeps no record of being wronged by others. Hopefully there aren't people in this room, but there may be. I was like this. Praise God. By his grace, I'm different now. But if someone wronged me, that was just another entry onto a list that I kept in my memory quite alive. And so I did keep a list of wrongs done against me. And not only did I keep that list, but I also made sure that I did not blot out any names by forgiving. They were all unforgiven. This was unforgiven, that was unforgiven, and that was unforgiven. And it turned me into a very bitter person, a very caustic person, a sarcastic person, a person who, and I don't mean sarcastic in a good, playful way, I mean sarcastic in a biting, rip-and-tear-you-apart way. And that's the kind of person I was before the Lord grabbed hold of my life. Lynn, you know that, don't you? You can say something. Is it going to exalt me or not? One of the wonderful things about being married to somebody for 45 years is this. He was all of that. In fact, one day, um, I I was a flower child. He was not in my group. I was not in his group at college. And one of my friends, and we were all, my group was just gentle and kind. And one day, they just said to me, why are you with him? He's the coldest man I've ever met. <laughs> and got to be good at something. <laughs> I mean, he, sarcasm actually means to tear the flesh. And you could do that. You were, um, and what's amazing, though, is to have the opportunity and the gift to be able to see somebody change over years, and see what God does with them. I'll tell you, it's, it's one of the reasons, not the only reason, but it's one of the reasons I really believe in the power of Jesus Christ to transform us. Um, so, so I want you to know, when he's up here and he's telling you he was a mean person, he was, and he hasn't been for a very long time. So I'm just so glad of what God can do, because you've always been a persistent person with God you know, wanting to be exactly who he wants you to be. So I'm very grateful. (laughs) (laughs) So the way you get rid of a a list of wrongs done 
is you forgive in Jesus' name each wrong done to you. You forgive each person who's done that wrong. Even if that wrong keeps recurring because that patient, that person is in your life, you forgive. And you know we're only supposed to forgive seven times. Seventy times seven is actually a Jewish expression meaning unlimited. This doesn't really, after 490 times, you really don't forgive after that. It doesn't mean that. You just always forgive. And that cleanses your soul. And that frees you. You know, we think that by not forgiving other people, we're hurting them. We're really hurting us. It's like taking poison and thinking the other person's going to die. It does not rejoice when unjust things happen, but is glad whenever truth wins out. Truth is under attack in our culture. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is very highly valued in Scripture. We ought to rejoice when truth, that which is real and factual and objectively true, objectively substantial, And aligned with reality. That's what truth means. That which is aligned with reality. Whenever truth wins wins out, we should rejoice. When unjust things happen, we should not rejoice. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It should be faith, not our faith. Is always hopeful for the best and stays steady through every kind of circumstance. That's new living translation of that passage. I wanted to give it new wording so we saw it differently. But this is Christ in us, man. This is the fruit of the Spirit of God who flows out of us. And when we're in him, the only way we can do this is by abiding in him, you know? Really, because the source is him. The source is God. So we we can't do this apart from God. Scripture says what? Apart from God, we can do nothing. Nothing good. So, okay. But now, love is also action. So I really want to challenge us. Love is attitude. You know where your attitude is different from this? I can't tell you how many times in my life as I was transitioning by the power of God from that snake-like creature Lynn first knew before I was saved into the angelic being I am today. I can't tell you how many times I... I repented. You know, I, I, I have the gift of a wife who's discerning, and when she sees something true, she doesn't mind sharing it, often in love, mostly in love. And so I go, oh, ah. contrary, contrary to the loving nature of God that I want to be in him. And so I would repent. I would turn around. I would, I would feel sorrow over my sin. I would say, no, I don't want that. I don't want that. That's me. I mean, there may have been some demonic fueling of it too. And if there was, you know, I made sure to rebuke that. But, but you know, most of it was just in my flesh. And so how do you get rid of that? Well, you, 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 you repent your way away from it. And so that it can be in an active way nailed onto the cross of Christ. It's already there. It's already been taken care of by the Lord. 
But I need to receive that. I need to appropriate that. Make that my own in my life. I need to say, yes, that is the person I declare myself to be in Jesus Christ. And so when I saw that biting and tearing sarcasm, when I saw the list of of wrongdoings that I was keeping that was very long by the time I finally saw it to get rid of it, then I repented. I turn away from that God. I want to have nothing to do with that God. I want to embrace the way you want me to be towards people. I want to be an expression. I want to be a manifestation of God's love towards everybody I meet. No exception. We'll get to something a little bit later on that has to do with love that is human only because humans in themselves can experience, can experience love, but it's not the God kind of love. It's not the, what the Bible calls agape love, the unconditional love of God that flows out. The key is, the key is, let me just make this distinction. The key between human love, worldly love, is human love is such that we love those who love us. God's love is we love everyone. It was said about the Christians, behold how they love one another. But it was also said about the Christians that the Jews, and this was not an anti-Semitic remark, it was just an observation. The Jews love one another. The Christians love everybody. That's our call. No distinction. The Heavenly Father causes His Son and His reign to fall down upon both the righteous and the unrighteous. And we who are sons and daughters of that father need to bear the family resemblance of loving in the perfect way like he does. The scripture says we are to be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect. I have a drinking problem, I'm sorry. But we are to manifest the same kind of non-partiality of love that the Father shows toward all human creatures. And so Jesus goes right to the heart of the matter. You know how Jesus does that, man? He just goes right to the heart of the matter. Next slide. Love is action. 26 through 35, I'm going to just uh, camp out a little bit on 27, 28. But I say to you here, love your enemy. He starts right at the beginning. Love your enemies. Love the hardest ones who are in your life for you to love. Love them. He commands it. This is a command. Love your enemies. Love your enemies. Lord, pour this into our hearts, God. By the way, I want to say that this is not a railing... um, attempt to make you feel condemned because I actually feel that by the grace of God, you guys are a really wonderfully loving church. Now, Rod, the other, you know, at the beginning, wanted us to pat ourselves on the back for making it through the, uh, the sound system glitch. I want you to know that I am so grateful And I believe God is grateful, and we should all be grateful that God has deposited a great deal of kindness and love in this church toward one another. It's really true. You know, newcomers, 
newcomers who come and, and they become uh, members here, what they, what they say almost universally is the presence of the Lord marks the church, the presence of the Lord, and the loving kindness of the people. That's a good thing to be known for. Love your enemies. That's the general statement. Then he gives three specifics. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you, revile you, persecute you, hurt you, treat you unfairly. That's the meaning of that word, mistreat there. It has to do with treating you in a physical, active way, in a way that's, that's unjust and unkind and, and of the dark side, not of the God side. That's what that means. And this is in the context specifically of when you are, as a Christian, being persecuted, And I don't think as a Christian I have ever been persecuted, actively persecuted in my life. And maybe some of you have, but I don't think I ever have. But there are people in the world, many of them, who know Christ and are being persecuted on a relatively consistent basis. And they would relate to this, pray for those who mistreat or revile you. I just read in uh, Charisma magazine... I believe it was a story of a Chinese apostle, old guy, I think in his 80s now, extremely humble. But he has been personally responsible for planting literally either himself or by those teams that he has led. He has planted literally over thousands of house churches in China. His work is amazing. His heavenly reward is incredible because of what he has done for the Lord. And many times he was thrown into prison and he was tortured and he was persecuted for his faith. And he declares in this interview that so many times when he did this, and and this is astounding, and I wonder about this, and I wonder if you've wondered about this, as he was being persecuted as he was being physically tortured the spirit of god was so upon him that he was praying for his torturers and pay, praying for his persecutors and i believe i remember correctly that the power of the spirit was so great that he felt no pain through it all and so that man and countless others believers in islamic countries that make it a death sentence if you convert to Christianity. And this happens in Hindu nations as well, and some Buddhist nations, and animistic nations, depending on the culture. But we are to pray for those who mistreat you. We are to. We're to bless those who curse us. You know, this is something that that I I want to bring to our attention. This word curse literally means to speak evil into and upon another person. It it, it doesn't mean just speaking evil about a person. It's related to that. And there are also other portions of Scripture that talk about speaking evil of other people. So that we become slanderers and what the Bible calls tail bearers. 
those who take negative reports about other people and we receive them and we're, we're, we're very interested and then we, we, we pass them along. So we're, we're passing along negative information. We're passing along accusations that we don't know are true and not true. But they're accusations against the character of other people. So evil speaking is related to cursing. Forgive me if I say this, but if you speak out, if you in a moment of of rage, you speak out, God damn you, that is a literal curse. And that's more than swearing or using bad language. That is speaking a curse. That, That literally is saying, I want you in hell. It's powerful, but related to that is evil speaking. It's all of the dark side. It's all accusations, all the dark, dark side, because accusation comes from the father of accusations, the accuser of the brethren, who is the enemy. So when we stand in and we further accusations against the character of other people, this also is endemic in our culture. It has become commonplace and acceptable and and even, even, even rejoicing when we hurl accusations and evil speaking against other people. And that's considered a good thing. They deserve it. Well, whether they deserve it or not, we all deserve hell. But by the grace of God, we get heaven. And so we should never be aligned with those who stand in a stream of evil power and hurl accusations against other people by speaking evil of them. That's what cursing is. And instead, we're to bless. To bless means to speak well of. Somebody, I mean, it's an old saying, isn't it? If you can't, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. Let's convert that into, if you're going to say something, say something positive. Do good to those who hate you. This is difficult. Now, it's not, and it's not only difficult because if somebody is actively hating you, the last thing you want to do is do something good to them. That's difficult, but it's also difficult because when people hate you, they don't want you to do anything good to them. Have you noticed that? Like people who actively hate you, and I've had some of that, probably well-deserved in the old days, <laughs> but... People who actively hate you, they have a kind of a field of of energy around them that that pushes away. They don't want good done to them by you, the object of their hatred. The root word of hate means to separate from, to isolate from. It ultimately means rejection. To hate in the the emotions is is that form of anger and wanting... uh, uh, really wanting evil for that other person and not wanting that person around, but then it manifests itself in rejection of nothing to do with you. So we're to do good to those who hate us. Do good. Find ways to do good. Love your enemies. All right. Now listen, I want to end. Because in the rest of the passage, Jesus gives illustrations of all of these Concrete illustrations that his listeners would have understood. When they're being attacked, they should respond in a certain way. So here's my my ending. 
it became very clear to me as I was reading through this and studying it this time that what Jesus was really saying was the world is filled with attitudes that emanate from the enemy. Hatred, cursing, reviling, abusing, hurting, treating in an unjust way other people, all that flows ultimately from the devil and indirectly through our fallen humanness. But that's all coming from the enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And you know what the common theme of all this is? What Jesus is saying for his people, his people. He says, you will not be like them. Not not to discard them or to say, don't ever have anything to do with the world. No. But you need to be in the world, but not of the world. You need to be of a different kingdom. Of a different power. So why can't we mistreat and revile someone back? Why can't we curse those who curse us? Why can't we hate those who hate us? Because then we would be standing in the dark stream of the devil instead of the powerful stream of light in our God. And Jesus is saying, don't stand here. Don't be in here. This is what, this is what will further all that. What's going to happen if you hate the person who hates you? The cycle of hate will continue. If you curse those who curse you, the cycle of cursing will continue. We see this internationally, all over the place. It's common. It's endemic. It's a whole other topic, how to treat that, how to understand that. But for those who are believers in a situation where we're in normal relationships or we're in relationships especially with others in the church or in our families, with our spouses, with our children, we cannot move in the same spirit that's coming against us from the world and from the enemy and from the flesh of man, but we must move in the opposite spirit of the spirit of love in Jesus Christ, the spirit of life in the spirit of God. That's where we stand. And when we operate out of that, guess what? We transform the world. The kingdom of the world becomes the kingdom of our God. And it happens through the actions and the attitudes of God's people who love with Jesus' own love, pumping through them like spiritual blood pumping through us out to the world. That's our call. Love everyone. Behold how they love one another, but how they love everyone. Everyone. So God, let's stand. So God, we come before you now. And Lord, we do declare what the scripture declares, that without you, we can do nothing good. Nothing righteous, Lord. We can't do this. We can't love our enemies. We can't. We admit it. But we also admit that you in us is greater than he who is in the world. 
that your power overcomes the power of the flesh and the world and the devil. And you dwell in us. And so, Lord, we now re-receive your power to live like you in this world. To love in our attitudes, to love in our actions, and to manifest the living Jesus and his kingdom wherever we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.